tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. And welcome to Tinfall Hat. You know who I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Okay, dude. You you will eventually get that. Hopefully oh by the time this is all done. Uh guys, thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for uh, you know, checking out our past week episodes. I uh, I appreciate everybody's positive energy. I appreciate some of the criticism on the uh uh on the McVeigh, McVeigh McAvee, whatever his name, uh interview was. What's that, Johnny? I can't hear you. McAfee. Yeah, yeah McAfee. I appreciate it, dude. I, I, we were supposed to have 45. It went to 30. Uh, so it is what it is. But I appreciate it. And just know I'm always listening. And if you ever think there's something you guys want, would like to see, you know, made a little better on the show, please let me know. Uh, guys, I want to tell you real quick about um, the new podcast I have coming out with Johnny. It's called Broken Simulation. And it is available at YouTube.com backslash uh, – Sam oh, Triple E comedy, right? Forward slash Sam Triple E. Forward, okay, forward slash. What does it matter? <laughs> what direction do you know I'm coming from, whether it's going forward or backwards? You don't know where I'm coming from. Am I coming from the east or am I coming from the west? That will determine what kind of slash it is. Left where right. I'm from, English, it is a right. backslash. You're in the United States. We write yeah. in English. It's left to right. So if you enjoy this banter that John and I do, we do it every week. It drops every uh, Friday. Uh, listen to it, man. It's, you know, it's meant to be a fun, lighthearted podcast about topics going on in, uh, of the week and uh, in our lives. Uh, so that's great. Guys, a lot of people are asking me, are T-shirts available? Yes, we're still selling T-shirts. If you'd like to get a T-shirt, go to tinfoilhattshirts.com and grab them right there. And uh, – you got to check out the Patreon. It's been really cooking with gas. You know, the show kind of, it started out with kind of me interviewing my friends every day. And now I'm getting some really insane, great episodes. And you know, what's really interesting is like, sometimes I'll just interview some of the people from the Patreon and they are great too. Uh, we just did Bob, Bob did the 13 families and really broke it down. So uh, every day it's uh, almost every day. I will uh, do you a 20-minute hit-and-quit-it uh, episode on the big story of that day or of the week. And then on Sundays, it is a uh, AMA, Sunday fun day. I answer all your questions. So go check it out. It's only five bucks, and, uh, and more and more people are listening. So I'm super excited about that. Real quick, Johnny, what's your social media? It's at Johnny Woodard on Twitter and at Johnny A. Woodard on Instagram. And Xavier Guerrero, what is your? What's up? It's Xtreme Marks the Spot on any social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. John, you know NXT, man, tell them about your other podcasts. And if you want to come uh, here, you get, uh, you know, you know. See, I have a one. Just, on I have a, I have a, my broken simulation. Uh, it's with uh, a cholo and uh, some guy named Side Dick Eddie. And we just talk banter. We just hang out, smoke weed, hang out with strippers. 
Uh, this quarantine ain't stopping us. It's George Press Stories on any social media. It's really fun. It's really it's, great that some yeah. parents name their kids Side Dick. That's yeah. always great. Believe it or not, yeah. You know, I guess I got Ghost and Ninja. So I guess <laughs> Side Dick isn't that crazy. <laughs> Guys, today's episode is uh, brought to you by our good friends at Grubhub. I use Grubhub every day. Uh, the, so doesn't uh, Martha and the babies love to use Grubhub, okay? Uh, this thing's crazy. It's shutting down everything. And the biggest thing uh, we're worried about is losing small businesses, okay? Uh, you know, yeah, you can go. I, dude, I tried to go to Popeye's Chicken the other day. They wouldn't serve me because they didn't have a mask on. I'm like, dude, two months ago, you were shanking people for, for chicken sandwiches. Now if I don't have a sneeze guard on, I can't get a, get a chicken nugget? It's like crazy, dude. But, like, those big, those big chains are open. It's the little mom and pop ones we have to save. And that's what Grubhub is all about, dude. Together, we can help save the restaurants we love. Every order on Grubhub helps support your local community as restaurants rely on delivery and pickup orders during this time. Contactless deliveries is available. I mean, you know, back in the day when we were kids, we'd take a poop in a bag, uh, set it on fire, knock on your door, and run. They don't do that anymore. Now they'll drop your food down, your, your uh, quesadillas, your chicken kebabs, and all that stuff. Special promotions will be available daily. Look for neighborhood specials. You can save money and save a restaurant. Pickup or delivery orders can save a local restaurant during this time. You also can donate your change order to support lo local Grubhub Community Relief Fund to support restaurants and drivers impacted by COVID-1984, I call it, okay? So just for our listeners, if you download Grubhub app and enter promo code SAMT, that's all one word, capitals, S-A-M-T, you get $10 off, uh, 15 or more for uh, new diners. The promo, the promo code SAMT for $10 off of 15 or more for new diners, okay? So download the Grubhub app and use the promo SAMT to enjoy restaurants that you love. Bam! How's that for professional? Saving people, right? And if you guys want to get into a little jujitsu, okay, go to my good friend Scott Ross's 10th Planet in Ventura Jiu-Jitsu, okay? Uh, if you guys listen to my special, uh, he's the guy who has narcolepsy, right? <laughs> and uh, we, when we were, in a we were getting chased by a tow truck driver, and whenever he laughs really hard, he falls asleep. So, like, I'm driving, like, Dukes of Hazard style, you know, trying to be one of those Duke boys. I got sleepy pants over here uh, as my co-pilot in this getaway. But uh, we started jiu-jitsu together, and for the last 12 years, he's been doing it. And now he has his own store, uh, his own dojo in Ventura. So go to 10th Planet Ventura and tell him Sam sent you. And, uh, yeah, dude, I'm super uh, excited that Scott is doing well. And I'm super excited for our guest, ma'am. It is, uh, you know, sometimes you have guests on, you're like, oh, what's this guy going to bring? But this dude, man, I love his YouTube channel. And he's got a really great crime podcast that I'm excited to get into because that's such an interesting genre. Uh, please welcome to the show, Sean Atwood from the Sean Atwood True Crime Podcast. How are you, brother? Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm loving the luxury lockdown. After spending six years in Arizona jails and prisons, imagine if they tightened the lockdown so you could only live in your bathroom. Then imagine... They tightened the lockdown, so they put two dudes in your bathroom with you. 
You're in the 24-7, the shitting, farting, wanking, burping, <laughs> smoking. Then imagine a big, bad, redneck guard can come in at any minute, say, drop your trousers, turn around, bend over, squat, cough. And he's looking right up your bum hole to see if you've got any drugs, shanks, cell phones. And then imagine he says, turn around and pull your foreskin back because he wants to do a foreskin search. What? That is what lockdown is about. Not this shit. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't really, man. First time he said, pull your... your foreskin, dude. First time he said, pull your foreskin back. I said, are you kidding? I said, why? He goes, well, you could have contraband. You could have drugs in there. Yeah, so, I think someone's thirsty. Did you have some thirsty guards, dude? I mean, like, <laughs> come on, man. We had some guards who were seriously into pizza gazing. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> now we're getting interested. Now we're getting... Sean, thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. You're all easily one of the most requested guests to be on the show. And just the universe just didn't align, but finally we have it. It just takes uh, uh, end of the year, end of the world uh, virus to get on. So my whole point was like, I got to get Sean on, Sean on before this asteroid hits and kills us all. I have to talk to this guy. Uh, it's coming. It's supposedly, Johnny, did you see this? That this asteroid is supposed to be four miles away? Oh, no, I didn't. Thanks. <laughs> Jesus. Four miles. That's Four miles. That, is that real? Yeah, I I I retweeted this guy, so it's got to be real. Um, <laughs> but Sean, I find the true crime podcast. I find that whole your YouTube channel so interesting. And as a comedian, I have to say that we are very very jealous, or at least I am, of the whole crime murder entertainment genre. Because we hurt feelings with jokes. Like we say words and people get butt hurt, right? Your crime entertainment. I remember thinking this one time. Like when I was, I used to, I still love the first 48. I just don't watch as much as I used to. That's where they, you know, you follow real life murder investigations. And I used to find it so interesting. I'm like, when's the new season of First 48 coming out? And I'm like, oh, yeah. They have to wait till 24 people get murdered so they could shoot the show. <laughs> and it's like people get butt hurt by jokes, but then they're totally anticipating, like, murder or a crime. And it's such an interesting dynamic how, like, one's okay, one's not okay. And I think they both should be okay. That's an interesting thing. What made you, I mean, obviously you went to work, but what, how, why, why do you think humans are so interested in the world of crime? The same reason that we stop and slow down when we see a car crash. There's something in the brain that releases chemicals that make you look at something potentially fatal that causes you to remember it. That's why you slow down, you study it, and you take care because you don't want that to happen to you. That's why there's a fascination with serial killers. And, you know, the stuff that I heard in prison just absolutely blew my mind. I had a friend who was a transgender, six and a half foot. Her name was Zena. I say she, it's, it's disrespectful to call the trans prisoners he. When she came in, she clicked up with the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang it's blood in, blood out with these gangs. They use people up. They brutalize them. 
And in her case, she got gang raped multiple times. And I said, what happened? She said, the first time was a gang rape. They beat me up, beat me unconscious, raped me while I was unconscious, shoved things inside my body. I said, what did they shove inside your body? A broomstick. I said, well, how did you know they were raping you if you were unconscious? She said, when I went to the toilet after, I could tell by what came out. Yeah, and then I asked her, how, how did she stop it? And she said she started fighting back, and she won the fight. It stopped. You've got to be brutal. Now, she hadn't told me the truth at the time, but Xenia was studying anatomy, and she came with an idea. The next two times the gang came to rape Xena, first member of the gang to put his hand on Xena, Xena plucked his eyeball out, so it was dangling from the optic nerve. If you've done martial arts, you know, in karate, it's the bird beak strike. If you, you pull an eyeball out like that, it just doesn't go back in there and behave snugly and, and normally. You can go blind. The fluid coating the brain can, can leak through. You know, you, you can potentially die, go into a coma. So Xena was classified as dangerous after she did that on two separate occasions. But the gang moved on to some of her friends. One guy was gang raped. They shoved a light bulb in his asshole. They took bets on who could smash it first, and that guy committed suicide afterwards. Another guy was gang raped, held down. They got a shovel from the work crew. They cut his head off with the shovel. When his head was finally off, they positioned it in an area of the prison where the rival gangs would see it to make the point they were the most violent and ruthless out of all the gangs. Now you asked about humor juxtaposed with crime. And I do talks across the country I'm always asked, did you drop the soap in the shower? And I think people use humor. I saw the gallows humor in prison used to try and diffuse that tension. It's very interesting because, you know, I mean, pr pr prison sexual assault is a real issue. You know, I, Joe Rogan's got a joke about it, about, eh, about how, like, you know, people talk about, you know, people complain about sexual assault and then someone bring up, well, well, more sexual assault happens to men. And Joe's answer is, you know, by men, you know, men commit the crime. But, you know, I see in commercials all the time jokes about prison rape. And it is just very interesting how, like, these things that can happen to men are seen, seen as funny and humor. I mean, like, uh, you know, another time I was, this has been a while since I was on Joe Rogan's podcast, but, you know, we were talking, we were talking about how, um, you know, they did the, on the view, they were joking about a guy getting his dick cut off and everybody was laughing about it. And I'm like, if you went the other way, people would lose their skull. People would lose their skull. And what was the movie like Gone Girl? I think that's it. Where uh, she fakes her murder. Is that it? With ben and Affleck. Ben Affleck, my good, and like, and then at the end, it turns out she's still alive, right? And that is, and like, it was a major movie, and like, if it was the other way around, people would lose her. You can't do that to women. Remember Lorena Bobbitt, dude? I mean, that was late night fodder for you know jokes for late night shows for years after that. And if it was the other way around, if it was like some kind of clitoris mutilation or something, it, I mean, it would be. Be People tragic. would be like Nobody going nuts, man. So I want to ask you something. We, we, I do find it interesting that women 
love murder television. They love, I mean, they love it. They watch the news. Uh, you know, uh, I think the news to women is like pornography to men. Not that women don't like porn, but like they are, they get addicted to it to almost an unhealthy level that they just get turned on get turned on or the fear. They love the fear. They love to go and watch like horror films of people getting slashed. And it's, and it's like, if that really happened in real life, people would be one dead, but they would be like mentally destroyed for the rest of their life. Perhaps because women are most at risk of those things happening to them. And they are the ones who get killed and beat up by the boyfriends and stuff like that. Going back to your point about cutting dicks off, what the trans prisoners do is they cut off their testicles. So in more recent years, Xena woke up one morning, grabbed a felt tip pen, drew some lines on her scrotum without any painkiller whatsoever. She just drank a cup of coffee, picked up the razor blade and started to cut her scrotum open. Yeah. The balls are on branches called the vas deverans. So she cuts through, she's got her fingers in the scrotum. She cuts through one side through the spermatic cord and the gristle and whatever's down there. And she gets that testicle off. Now the other testicle must've known what was coming because it hid. It retracted off into her body. So now she's got her hand up inside her guts, searching for this testicle. She said she could feel squishy things like organs and stuff, where she's got it tied off to stop the blood comes undone. Blood starts squirting across the cell. She's feeling the red hot pain now from the first testicle being severed. She's still scrambling around in the guts trying to find this (laughs) testicle. And she's bleeding oh. to death. And they got a helicopter. Someone saw this. She got a heli- they got a helicopter to the prison just in time to get to hospital to save her life. Oh so the trans prisoners, they feel. <laughs> and what, they don't reconstruct it, right? They just give her a pussy now? No, what happens is no, it stops they, the testosterone. Just... They get estrogen um, smuggled in. The balls shrink. And, you know, they feel more uh, at one, at peace with themselves. Wow. Uh, Ha! Okay, man, that was insane. So, I mean, to get to that moment, too, there's a lot of mental, um, um, a lot of mental damage has been inflicted. Uh, And... Sean, you seem like a wonderful dude, a very nice guy. Your YouTube, again, is wonderful. Uh, and I just had two babies, two baby girls, Ghost and Ninja, okay? And I look at them, and I think about what – they're just pure love. And I think about the story you just told of a dude cutting his nuts off. And I go, how do we get from here to here? How, what, what happens in that? I just think that some people's brain chemistry is different and there are anomalies. So Zena believes that she has got the brain chemicals or the brain design of a female, but she's trapped in a man's body. And that's why by getting the estrogen smuggled in, stopping the testosterone, they feel more at peace with themselves. You did mention a bag of poo earlier. I do have, I do have a <laughs> I do have a bag of poo story as well. Okay. I'd like I was to in the maximum security Madison Street Jail 
under Sheriff Joe Arpaio's regime. Oh. We were locked down, cockroach infested. I mean, they're all over us at night. And the water went out for about two or three days. What? Yeah, so we're pissing and we're shitting in the can and it's filling up until the mound of crap raises above sea level. Now, on the third day, on the third day, um, my cellmate is like, you know, he wants to take a shit and he's been holding it in because there's nowhere left to shit. And um, so I roll over on my bunk, face the wall. He, he, he's trying to shit in a bag over the toilet. I hear someone hit the rim of the toilet. He's like, damn, I missed some. And um, in the end, and it, there was no water to wash it. It was like just like a crust on the toilet for the rest of the day. So in the end, the water came on, but it came on in stages. In the toilet, it's slowly rising. Oh now, my God! Now this means that you know, like I said, like I said earlier, we are living in this room. We are living in a toilet, a bathroom. We're sleeping right next to this. So this means that when the water raises over above the toilet, our whole cell is going to be flooded with shit. Oh. So we say to each other, <laughs> one of us needs to stick his hand in the crap to let the water through. And my cellmate goes, you're the closest dog. So I put a sandwich bag on my hand. I said, I can't believe I'm doing this. Plunge my hand into the mound. The mound took the bag from my hand. Oh. Up, up to my elbow in sewage. I'm digging till the water level sank. My cellmate's like, I owe you one, dog. <laughs> like, well, well, it's your turn next time. Because, because the tap water didn't come back on, I couldn't wash my arm. Oh, my God. I'm sat on a cell, on a, on a stool, waiting, waiting for hours until the guard let us out for a shower with, you know, with all this shit all over my arm. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. <laughs> We're five minutes in, everybody. <laughs> and what? I, and for, practically, what recourse do you have as an inmate at, when when shit like that's going on? I mean, do you have any rights? Do you have any appeal to like authority? What jail are you in? Can you do? Can you talk to an attorney? I mean, I how can in, you? Protect- I was in Sheriff Joe Arpaio's jail, and there's a saying: if you ask the guards for anything, I'll get right on that, or you've got nothing coming. And this was a jail where I've got got videos of guards on my YouTube channel murdering mentally ill prisoners. Brian Crenshaw was a partially blind shoplifter, failed to produce his ID for the evening meal. Guards pulverized him, broke his neck, severe internal injuries. He went into a coma. He died over a month later. Scott Norberg, mentally ill man, they brought him in. Guards started pulverizing him and electrocuting him with taser guns. Female guard start, tried to stop it. She goes, stop beating him. His face has turned blue. He pushed her off, kept beating him. The prisoners watching from the cell started yelling, why are you still beating him? He's already dead. And they couldn't stop themselves. They were like a pack of wolves beating the corpse. Now, let me ask you a question. Family members of the victims of the guard sued because these cases were caught on camera and they were awarded compensation. 
What do you think the boss of the jail, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, did to those guards that were found responsible in federal court for murdering those prisoners? Well, knowing uh, just how our government worked, they probably got promotions. Yeah, some of them got promotions and pay rises. Um, this, this jail had the highest rate of death in America. National Geographic Channel did my Locked Up Abroad episode. They researched it. They said 62 people died over five years around the time I was there. And it's not just um, the guards murdering prisoners. It's all completely gang controlled. So the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang, if you're a white guy, they decide who lives or dies. I've got another video on my channel of an Aryan Brother gang member murdering a, a, another prisoner who's refused to beat someone up for the gang. And for 10 minutes, just smashes this guy's head over and over into the concrete. This is the guard's screen. The camera is supposed to watch it, stopping any trouble. 10 minutes later, he starts stomping on the back of the guy's head and neck, and he's looking up at the camera. He can't figure out why it's not getting stopped. In the end, 20 minutes in, guy's dead. He grabs the corpse, brings it out right in front of the camera like he's trying to show it off. Then he tries to throw it off a balcony, gets stuck on the railing. He starts wow. kicking it over and over and yes. over. And only then do the guards notice and put this guy down. This is how much control the gangs have got over the prisoners versus the guards. Well, I was lucky because um, over 100 people arrested with me, including some of my bouncers from the raves. I was running an international uh, ecstasy trafficking operation in competition with Sammy the Bull Gravano. So we had, you know, some quite heavy people protecting me. If I had gone in there on my own, heaven help me, I was sent to Tower 6. I was on my own in Tower 6. The skinheads come up to me, they're like, hey, we want a word with you. Get in that cell over there. You can't say no to these guys or they're just going to smash your head into the wall. I go into the cell. They come in behind me, close the door. And they're like, what are your charges? I'm like, well, my charges were on a little printout. It was all legal terminology. I was new to this. I didn't understand what it meant. So I give the worst answer in the world. I say, I don't know what my charges mean. Now they got me up against the wall about to attack me. What do you mean you don't know what your charges mean? Are you a chomo? Are you a chomo? I don't even know what a chomo is at this point. What is child, a chomo? Child molester. Child molester. Oh, yeah. Child molester some, and some, anything that's a horrible person. Child molester, a woman abuser. Those are like, they put you on a whole different crew. And if they find out, they have to kill you right then and there. Yeah. Ch ch chomos are K-O-S. Kill uh, on site. Other charges are S-O-S. Smash on site, such as drive-by shootings because women and kids sometimes get hit. So in the end, I pulled out my charge sheet. They saw I was in for drugs. Wow. That's acceptable. Nearly everyone is in prison. It's drug-related. They saw my bail bond was $750,000 cash only. They thought that was cool. They were like, you guys, the mafia, or what? You know, who, who did you guys kill? Then they explain all the rules. If someone calls you a punk, a bitch, or hits you, fight them on the spot, or else the whole gang will attack you. Must have showers, or they'll smash you for bad hygiene. Can't go make you friends with the guards, they'll smash you for snitching. Can't go sitting at the tables of the other races, they'll smash you for that. Everything you take for granted about your safety is reversed. They're constantly looking for people to beat up because that's how they earn their reputations and tattoos. To be a full member, to be patched in, you have to murder someone for them in the jail. So the more serious the act of violence, the higher up in the prison hierarchy are the tattoos that they earn. 
Now I saw them smash someone they said was a chomo in the shower. They smashed this guy. They left him whimpering in a pool of blood. And this big guy, you know, with the, with the uh, cobwebs tattooed on his neck and all this shit. He's like, how come we can still hear, hear him? Oh, we smashed him good enough. Not good enough, dog. He goes in the shower and it's like he's trying to crack this guy's head open like it's just a coconut. Just like crack, crack, crack. Until this guy looks unconscious. Now, I've never seen violence at this level before. I go back to my cell. The guards come in, lock down, lock down. They're bringing him out on a stretcher. I've got my head at the plexiglass window trying to check this guy out. And he's on the stretcher. He looks dead. There's not just blood coming out of his head. There's yellow fluid, like brain stuff coming out of his head. So that puts a whole uh, level of shock on your face. It's one thing thing to watch Shawshank, but to be in there and you can't leave. The prisoners are coming up to me. You've got to get that look of shock off your face or you're going to get attacked. Within six months, I've got dead eyes. And even on my driver's license, now the photo, I'm just like completely like not showing any weakness or any emotion at all because it's going to get exploited. You mentioned rape. Rape is so common in prison. You have to go to a rape class now to get taught how not to get raped. It's a complete waste of time. Who teaches rape it. class? A rape class. They do the rape class so they can say, hey, they're all raping each other. But at least we showed them the fucking rape class. Now, the rape class is a, you go into a classroom and they show you a video of some predators in the, in the day room and the young prisoners coming in are hungry. If they take food from the predators, they're in debt. The predators say, right, you owe us this money or else we're going to stab you. Well, I don't have any money. All right, you go in that room over there, you do what he says, and we won't kill you. And if you do that, you are a punk, you are turned out, and there is no coming back from that. You're a prison prostitute, you're going to get rented out. And the conclusion of the rape class was, to report rape, you have to, that's the only way to stop it. If you report anything in prison, you're a snitch, KOS. So after the class, a young prisoner, mentally ill prisoner, was gang raped. Nobody reported a single thing. It's, it's, it's a completely different world, man. But this isn't every, this isn't just like, uh, this is in the Mexican gangs and the black gangs and there's rules like there's like times where you have to do burpees and they make you work out the reason they make you work out in case there's a rival fight everyone's fit ready to go you don't want some fat guys just chilling there so you can't just be a lazy fuck you actually have to work out you're on their time schedule you're on their lifetime yeah so it's good. not all negative is that what you're saying next year there's some positive. yeah you, you come out buff you come out a little yoked you you get a little thing or two you learn how to clean your room how come that's not a like a workout on like late night television do you want to get in shape are you going to be a felon well join my workout right now uh, it's crazy dude i mean the prison system is nuts uh the powerful are are always cash and checks at each moment of that you were mentioning uh, that you were an ecstasy dealer. Uh, it is kind of crazy that, you know, that you do, dr- you sell drugs, you have to go to jail. I mean, there's people in, in Nevada that are doing life for selling weed. Like, it's just, to me, it's crazy. And, you know, the whole thing is that I, I think the only reason you go to jail is because the CIA is pissed they're not getting their cut of. The action, because they they collected on both sides, right? Would you would you agree with that, or am I talking crazy here? Absolutely, I've written two books on that. I've written American Made, and I've written 
Clinton, Bush, and CIA conspiracies. And someone was present at a dinner George H.W. Bush was hosting. And he was bragging that the public would never guess that the guy that was running all this cocaine into America and the weapons down to finance this war in Nicaragua was also doing this massive war on drugs and locking up all the lowest level people. Now, I take full responsibility for what I did. And prison was good for my soul. It sent me on a whole new positive path. I take responsibility. But I, before I got arrested, I thought prisoners were serial killers, rapists, chomos. Because all you hear in the news is extreme crimes on one side. And on the other side, it's so easy for them. They've got PlayStations. They've got gourmet food. They've got luxuries. And that keeps the public hating on the prison population. When I got into prison, jail, I saw the average arrest was a black kid or a Mexican kid with a little bit of weed. Not a dealer, possession. Two to five years, maybe it's their second offense, third offense, they aggravate it because they've committed, they've got prior convictions. So it was really sad. More than half of my friends in prison were soldiers. They come back from wars, they're messed up mentally, PTSD. They're not given any help by the government. They leave them, they hang them out to dry. They get on street drugs to medicate and then they end up in prison. And, and you know, what are they doing in prison? Just getting even more traumatized and even more fucked up. 90% approximately, because I had, I had cellmates who were doing the heroin and we took a canvas of everyone. He told me everyone who was doing the heroin and it was approximately 90% of the prisoners were injecting the hardest drugs and approximately two thirds had hepatitis C from sharing dirty needles. So what are we doing? Taking all these people, low level users of weed at the peak of the war on drugs, hundreds of thousands of arrests for weed possession, highest arrest category in the history of criminal justice. Young people got criminal records, can't get jobs, put them in these madhouses, which is gang infested and drug mayhem where they are scared they're going to get raped. So they click up with the gang, they get on the heroin, they get the neo-Nazi tattoos, they make their criminal connections in prison. And by the time they get out, they're proper full on criminals. And the prison knows that. And they love that because when they get arrested, it's $50,000 a year of taxpayers' money that goes right back to the prison. Corrections Corporation of America were boasting in the annual report to shareholders, our profit growth is guaranteed because they keep coming back. They're not correcting people. They're breaking them. It's all about the money. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not, I used to be a big fan of John Oliver. I'm not really anymore, but one of his uh, greatest episodes he did was on privatized prisons and how, uh, like, I don't know if it was an informational pamphlet or something off the website bragged that like 80% of the criminals would be coming back. It, it, that they they would have a return rate and i think that's super duper i mean we are just seeing in this country uh just a complete disconnect of humanity i've said this before man you know i'm a recovering drug addict uh but it's almost impossible to become a recovering felon you know what i'm saying it's bare, i mean i hear once in a while a couple people uh couple people bring me uh, you know or like yeah man they dropped my felony charges which is Great, but that's far and few between. Far and few between. And it's just you start 
crippling people. And just like you said, low levels, Sean, it's the same thing about pedophilia. Like the only people going to jail are low level perpetrators. And that way they can march them out in front of the media. Look, we arrested another one of these scumbags. But, you know, if you study this long enough, you realize that this pedophilia stuff is a currency of the elite. They use it to control people. And these guys never go to jail, ever. I mean, a Sandusky is so rare. Once in a while, you get a whale like that. And I'm not saying, and listen, drug abuse and pedophilia, two totally different things, man. Uh, I would rather, I, I, I don't think you should go to jail for drugs. If you steal something to pay for drugs, that's, that's a theft. That's crime. You're stealing somebody's thing. Doing the drugs yourself, uh, that's, that to me isn't victimless. I mean, yeah, you, I had a problem. I, I, I fixed my problem. But, you know, I'm not harming anybody. I'm harming myself. Uh, pedophilia is like you're hurting children. And, uh, I mean, like I, I would prefer very, very bad things to happen to you, but if we have to play nice, some rehab or something, I mean, I can't stand, pe I had a guest come on one time talking about how, uh, you know, like we're going to look back at how we treat pedophiles. And I'm like, not, not on my watch. We're not going to do that. You're hurting people. You, these these children have no say on that. If you want to do a treatment for that, that's fine. But once you commit the act, you stick a fork in you, you're fucking done, in my opinion. But with, with drugs, man, it just seems like uh, these people are just, they're making a dollar off everything. And it's, it's, it's just meant to fucking just destroy community. I mean, what the drug war has done to the black community is unbelievable. And then, you know, you said, and I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, I, I go down to traffic court, man. I look around. I, I'm, I'm barely white, you know. I'm barely white. Uh, I'm the only white guy in the line. It's all Mexicans and blacks in traffic court. Crippling these people. Yeah, Happens have, all the time. I have a friend that just got out of jail. He's got the felony. Can't hang out with his friends because they're felons, obviously. Can't, there can't be a gun in the house, so whoever, wherever he lives, he has to make sure there's no gun. Has to do probation, can't get a job because he has to write felony. And he's trying to work, so he's got to do those like under-the-table jobs. He's just looking at me like, and they wonder why I sell drugs. They wonder why I'm going to go back to that because I'm 20, he's 28, has no car. He's like, dude, I'm a loser, and I can't. He tries to help himself out, we just can't. Can't get his own spot. And it's like, like he said, that felony, you can get out of jail, but you can't get a, can't get away felony. Yeah. Can't vote. I heard, I heard one cop say, I just go into the black neighborhood, make arrests. It's like shooting fish in a barrel because cool. the cops have arrest quotas. Now, you're talking about the contradiction with the sentences with high-profile pedophiles. I've got an Epstein playlist. I'm writing a book, Who Killed Epstein? And if you're clicked up with the Clinton crime family, look at the sweetheart deal you're going to get. I mean... The stockade where he was housed, Epstein, he donated over 100000 to the sheriff. And the cops down there in Florida were running, around, running him around to his appointments in plain clothes and screening his visitors. And he was just running, you know, his business. And he was able to get out and, and molest more kids under while he was supposed to be serving this sentence. So, yeah, all, you know, it's, it's one justice for the poorest people, and it's another for the people at the top of society. Roger Clinton, 
Bill Clinton's brother was arrested in a cocaine deal. And he said to the undercover cop, some of this is for Bill. He's got a nose like a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Yet, oh. yet Bill Clinton put more women, low-level drug users, in prison than anyone prior to him who had been the president. So again, George H.W. Bush, the Bush crime family, Clinton crime family, they really ramped up the war on drugs. Did you uh, hear any uh, in your investigations? Uh, any? I didn't know about the him paying the $100,000 to the guy who uh, basically ran the prison or a sheriff involved with that. Uh, I mean, we heard stories about him just walking around uh, the prison, hanging out with his lawyer, having female guests come visit him. Did you hear anything of that? Yeah, absolutely. He was in the stockade. He wasn't even in the regular jail. So he had the whole legal visitation room. He had a TV put in there. He was maxing out all of his legal visits. But he told the cops, I want you guys in plain clothes and, you know, screen my visitors. And basically, he was the boss. They, you know, they were calling him the boss. He was, he was running that joint. And he even tried to do uh, the same thing the second time around. He was, he was throwing his money around left and right to try and play the system. So if you've got money, you know, it, it goes a long way. In jail, people will kill you for as little as $50 so they can get a hit of heroin. And life is cheap. So my two suspects, uh, you know, at, do you at the think lowest, he's dead? Do you think he's I dead do. for sure? I do, I do, because he represented such a liability to people who are far more powerful than him, and he had to go. Before he died, I did a video, I said, will Clinton have Epstein suicided to avoid a Lolita scandal? And that's exactly what unfolded, and I based that on my years of research into the Clinton and Bush crime families. The fact that he got assaulted prior to the suiciding was a big heads up. And they put that one guy in there, Nicholas Tartaglioni, that huge ex-cop turned gangster who'd invited dudes over to the, his brother's club, I think it was, to do a drug deal. They got whacked and buried in the garden. If you're gonna put a gangster in with a sex offender, there's a thing called a convict code that comes into effect, and that's KOS. Now Tartaglioni's facing the death penalty. So let's see if they gave him a quid pro quo, if he either gets like life with the possibility of parole and he beats the death penalty. I know he wasn't with Epstein on that night. They removed his new cellmate, but the guards could have clicked that door open and let him in. Or guards could have gone in and done it themselves. Or outside contractor assassin goes in, dressed in the kind of outfits people come in and do work in the prison they're called white shirts gray shirts they come in do maintenance work do other stuff in the prison bust his door open cameras are off let one of them in and if you saw the pictures of the scene there was an electrical cord on the floor now i wrote the life story of a multiple homicide mafia murderer called two tonys while i was in prison he worked for the Bonanno crime family under Joe Bonanno Sr. It was the longest running head of the Mafia Council. And he never got whacked. He was very shrewd. And he ended up living in Tucson, Arizona after they'd run him out of New York. 
So two Tonys, he was working under Charlie Batts Battaglia when he was rising up in the mafia and Batts had whacked people from coast to coast, never got caught. And he taught two Tonys all of his methods of murdering people and disposing of bodies. So for example, dig, dig a hole real deep, get the corpse in there deep, then get a dead animal, bury the dead animal a few feet above the corpse. A cadaver dog comes out, it hits on the animal, they stop digging. Oh. But the Bonanno crime family, what oh they did was that, the Bonanno yeah. crime family, they invested in funeral homes and they had double-decker coffins. So all that's in my book, Two Tony's Mafia Philosopher. Two Tony's died from liver cancer from his own drug taking. But while I was in Two Tony's cell every day, I wasn't supposed to be there. He's got prisoners looking out um, for, for the guards. Cell visiting is prohibited. I said to Two Tony's, if, if someone came in here right now, an enemy looking to kill you, how would you take that person out? Now, I thought he would just sit there and explain it. And within a flash, he jumped up. He grabbed the electrical cord of what's called a stinger, like a heating filament. And he, he, he was behind me and he wrapped that around my neck. And, you know, I, I can't breathe. And, you know, I'm slowly feeling the pressure. And um, I'm thinking, all right, you know, I've got a close relationship with this guy. He's just demonstrating this. I'm shitting myself, <laughs> you know, until, until he eventually released it. So if a professional killer will use an electrical cord in prison to take someone out, then I imagine if, if it was the CIA or the Israeli intelligence, whoever was at that meeting to discuss how Epstein's going to be taken out to make it look like a suicide, do it with the cord because it's right there. And then you can, you can hang that guy up and it's just going to look like he hung himself. Guards kill people all the time and they, they, they hang them up and, and make it look like it's, it looks like it's been a suicide. How we keep hearing about the cameras. Uh, how realistic is it that multiple cameras would be out like that? Is that something that commonly happens or is that pretty clearly deliberate in your opinion? It's the combination of things that happen. If you go back to the history of the MCC since it opened in the 1970s, there is no record of two guards ever falling asleep simultaneously <laughs> on one shift. Then the camera's going out. The cellmate getting removed the night before. No witnesses, no crime. It's, uh, see, I don't, well, I don't know if we'll ever know the actual power structure, meaning the hierarchy of where everybody was on that, you know, whether it's the mega group or whatever they're talking about, uh, where Jeffrey Epstein is uh, compared to the Clins. You know, you know, if the Clins are your boss, how do you have a painting of him dressed in drag pointing to you uh, in your house? I mean, like, to me, I don't know where Jeffrey Epstein is on that, but I, I there could be an argument that he could be higher than the Clintons. It's it's possible uh, when you have blackmail on these people, right? Uh, but when you're going after one of the Royals, when you're involved in the possibility of one of the Royals being indicated on sex crimes, there's a lady out there that has no problems with offing some of the the most 
the, the biggest names in the world, like Princess Diane. She has no problems with that. She's a cold-hearted lizard person. She, you know, she got, in, I think it was in Canada, got found guilty in the disappearance of uh, several uh, Native Canadian children. Like, and, and not just like one time, like they did studies. There were kids disappearing all over the place. So this, this woman, the queen, doesn't care. Uh, she is ruthless, dude. And that's what I think that got to. So if he is, if he is dead, and that, to me, there is some question on that. And, uh, you know, I, I obviously believe you're an authority who's done a lot of investigation in it. But, you know, when you find out that, that it's plane, there's flight logs have been flying to Antarctica or the plane flying to Antarctica. Uh, his, his, you know, what do you think about his new, uh, the new thing where his bank account got reinactivated? What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? So in the eyes of the public from the mainstream media, Epstein was the head of this child trafficking conspiracy. But once you research this to the intelligence agency level, you learn that Epstein was just a mid-level manager. He didn't have that money. The house was given to him by Wexner. Like you said, far more powerful people, the royal family. I had an exclusive interview on my channel with... Prince Andrew's former royal protection officer. And he said Ghislaine Maxwell was going in and out. It was off the record, a lot of it. If they, the protection cops held Andrew's guests up, Andrew would get on the phone, like, don't you fucking know who I am? I'm going to come fucking down there. You let that person through right now. He is a complete and utter psychopathic asshole. He's arrogant. But he's not that bright. To do that interview just shows, you know, he thought he could go on there and just spew out all of those lies in this age of technology and Twitter, showing all those pictures of him sweating, dressed casually in London. I went to Pizza Express in Woking, checked it out, um, talked to the staff. They, they shit themselves. They were like, we can't give you any responses on this. Contact our corporate office. I went to Ghislaine's Maxwell's house in London to see if the white banister was there, filmed it, knocked on the door, nobody answered, crossed over the street. My cameraman's like, the door's opening, the door's opening. We ran back over and he was on the right-hand side of me and the banister was like right there, but he couldn't see it. So I'm talking to this woman at the door, cleaning lady, and I'm yelling at him, get to the other side of me now, get to the other side of me now. Film the banister, film the banister. <laughs> he did. He managed to film the banister just in time. I, I asked her if we could come in and film. <laughs> you live dangerously, brother. She, you drew, dangerously. she drew the line at that. Hey, so, that, so that where do you think she photo. is? Yeah, where, exactly. Where do you, where think, do you she think she is? I think yeah. she's probably in Israel. I think that any information that's put out about where she is is disinformation. I think she is under the protection of multiple intelligence agencies right now. I've studied the shit out of Robert Maxwell, and he had relationships with all of the major intelligence agencies in the world, the Russians, the UK, the CIA, and his ultimate loyalty was to Israel. But he was also moving money around the world for the Russian mafia, for the cartels, for criminal organizations. So it's extremely complex spider web of connections that the Maxwell family has and she's not to be underestimated in any way 
she's extremely crafty and she may even be under royal protection as well. So that's why we've not seen this woman who's been named as not just a procurer, but someone who participated in sexual assaults of teenagers. Anyone else would have had the SWAT team smashing their door down and the Aryan Brotherhood prison gang will be stabbing them in the belly within 24 hours of them touching down on a prison yard. But Maxwell's out there. She's free. Um, John Lupernell, same thing. Supposedly supplied 12-year-old triplets to Epstein for his birthday gift. And Epstein boasted to Virginia Roberts, you know, how young they were and about how good the blowjob was and how he loves these East Europeans, especially because they can't speak any English. They're the best ones and the easiest ones to take advantage of. And these co-conspirators are still at large. Like you said, if it's the poor person that done this, they would be getting multiple life sentences. But if you're friends with the Clintons, friends with the Royals, you get a sweetheart deal, you go to jail, you order the, the guards around, and they are basically become your bitches and your appointment keepers. It's unbelievable how... It's like almost like pedophilia has become like politicized. You pick a team and depending on who's being accused is what your belief on uh, how severe the pedophilia is. I mean, it's like if, if a Republican gets accused, the, the conservatives don't believe it. If a Democrat gets conserved, uh, gets uh, accused, the, uh, the left, it's just the left doesn't believe in it. The liberal. It's unbelievable to me. No I like cares. just, I just think, you know, I have two daughters, man, two months old. And I just think how vulnerable they are. And it's like, not everybody's as crazy as I am. And the mother is, you know, they're surrounded by love and, uh, that's a blessing for them. I mean, they're blessings us, but we're blessings to them because people come in this world and they don't have that at all. And I can't think of how vulnerable I mean, just the amount of like how much of a scumbag you have to be to, to, to not just do it once, but do it multiple times. And like, you know, people don't even talk about like th that, that these witnesses talked about how like Bill Clinton didn't even fool around with the female said they didn't. He didn't even fool around with them. He was around the boys and how this has been presented as like, hey, dude, they're just banging teenage chicks. Come on, man. Look at teenage chicks. They like it. They're hot. They want it. Come on, man. In reality, it's like, it's like really young, young people. And some of them don't come back from this. Well, when Bill Clinton was the governor of Arkansas, when he was on his coked up sprees, he was a multiple sexual assaulter. And those women got silenced with the non-disclosure agreements and the out-of-court settlements. So he was protecting, his state police were protecting the drug drops that the CIA was doing that were coming in in Arkansas. And Barry Seal, who I wrote about in American Made, he was the pilot bringing those uh, loads of cocaine in. And he got whacked because the feds run by George H.W. Bush they made him stay in a halfway house. 
they told him he couldn't have a gun and he couldn't have any bodyguards. And there was a hit out on him from Escobar. So they basically allowed those guys free reign to come in and take him out. And when Barry Seal, when his corpse was found, he had a phone number for George H.W. Bush on him. He'd been contacting Bush and trying to negotiate his way out of the situation. So, yeah, when you uh, become a liability to these way more powerful people like Epstein was, like Barry Seal was, that you're going you know, to get taken out just like that. And eventually that day comes, right? That day comes. It's almost impossible to get through that clean. I mean, very rarely, if ever, you get thrown a retirement party. If you're swimming with people at that level, sharks, and you, you do the slightest fuck up, or you know too much, you know, they have to silence you. Because if Epstein had spoken in court, then certain government agencies would have been forced to take action on numerous cases with high-profile names. There was no way he was going to ever make it to court. When Kenneth Lay got arrested, and he was George Bush's biggest financial contributor at one point, Enron, when Kenneth Lay got arrested, I said to my cellmate, there's no way this guy's going to see a day in court. And all of a sudden, though it was a heart attack or whatever, you know, he was out of the picture as well. Yeah, I, I, there's got to be a place where they're all chilling. <laughs> you know? there, there is a theory about that, yeah. Uh, it's unbelievable. So what's very interesting is last week we had a, uh, we had a wonderful conversation about uh, Standing Rock and the last days of that. We had a gentleman who uh, was there during the arrests and stuff like that. Now, were you, were you there? Do you know what was going on there? Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I'm not aware of Standing Rock. But, okay, what, did, I, did I read something? I thought you sent me what, what opened my eyes to how the world really works is the insider trading that came in in the, the week before 9-11. Oh, the bets okay, that, that came in that the airlines were going to go down. Because I've been trading the stock market since I was a teenager and I was a stockbroker. I was a licensed manager, branch manager, and I was also a licensed option trader. I've been trading options since I was a kid. So in the options market, there's a security called a put option, which means if you buy it and the underlying stock goes down, say 10%, the option will go up 100%. So the people who bought these put options on the airlines in the days before 9-11, they made multi-millions, and it was headline news. Now, I saw it on the headline news, and they were saying, right, this has to be the terrorists. All these trades can be traced, and we're going to find out who these terrorists are, and we're going to hold them accountable. Now, that news story completely stopped being transmitted it disappeared there is a clip of it still on youtube and years later i was in the max security jail reading books i think it was a david ike book and he'd done a research and other people have confirmed this research now those trades were traced back 
to an investment bank and the chair of the investment bank was an ex CIA, one of the ex heads of the CIA or high up. Oh, the CIA. oh my God. That so, just, that completely transformed my understanding of the world. Not only did some people know it was coming, they profited from it. Well, those securities have an average daily trading volume. And you can go back years and look at how many they trade. And in the weeks before 9-11, that little bar went, Woo! every single day, Woo! there was no way that could have happened by accident or for any other reason. Now, everybody who was involved in those trades, the feds came and interviewed them. But not only did they interview them, they deputized them. And what that means is, if you speak about this to anyone other than me, Mr. Fed, I'm going to come back and throw you in prison. So they, they were deputized and they're not even allowed to talk about those trades. Unbelievable. That's like in baseball right now where he gave all those cheating on Houston Astros uh, immunity. Uh, it's very interesting, dude. The CIA is just very interesting because – you know, when you grow up, you think that law enforcement, their job is to, you know, enforce the law. And then you start going, li living a little life and you start realizing that, you know, it's not like that. And, you know, so I posted something on Instagram uh, about someone did some, a wonderful artwork on the show. This gentleman from um, uh, Tucson, I think, no, it's Texas. Uh, I got. I can't remember his name, but uh, I'll give it out next week. But he did some great artwork, and someone said, "Hey, man, I caught your show in Chicago. It was really crazy because after the show, I shared a taxi with a woman, and she told me she was in the CIA and she'd come to your show." I go, "Wait, what? Okay, first of all, I don't know if that's a CIA protocol to tell everybody you're in the CIA. Uh, when you come, hey, hey, what's up? Oh, CIA, you know, drug enforcement agency, just here to catch a show. I'm sure they do come, you know, and it's like every conspiracy theorist, like, wet dream that the like CIA wants to off them, right? Like, this is weird thing that they're so important and that their information is so insane that uh, they got to be silenced. I, I'm a dick joke comic, you know, uh, with a sex addiction and a, a drug problem, you know, that he's had to go through and deal with uh, through, you know, recovery programs. Uh, I don't think I fall onto anything where they're going to have to get rid of me. But what is the CIA to you? Well, so I, I, mean, do be I believe there are a lot of good people in the CIA and the police and I'm a member of law enforcement against prohibition or mostly cops, prosecutors, judges. And they say we signed up to arrest the pedophiles, murderers, rapists, drug lords. But I was assigned to infiltrate a student group, get them smoking weed, arrest them at the end of the month to make my arrest quotas. Because the more arrests we make, as the, the DEA send us more money for our budgets, we've got to get those arrest quotas. That kid then is sent to prison, they get on the hard drugs, they can't get a job because of the criminal record. This is not what I signed up for. So there are a lot of good people in these government agencies. 
I've interviewed a lot of ex-cops on my true crime podcast, really well-meaning people. And the people at the top of politics and the legislation, they are the psychopaths. So they have the levers of power. So the CIA is a means, a weapon for them to use. If they want to bring cocaine into the country to finance an illegal war, they'll do it. It's unbelievable, dude. And it's just like, then like who runs the CIA? And we go through all the history of that. And it's a very common theme. And it's just like, you get the Nazis. And then you get like, where the Nazis go to? Then you get the Jesuits. And then you go, who are the Jesuits? And then you get to the Roman Catholic Church. And then you start studying that, like all these crime organizations in North America, South America, and Europe have a Roman Catholic Church background italians irish mexicans you know they all have this catholic church so now is the catholic church just collecting checks on both sides through the cia and the crime organizations have you ever looked into that oh my goodness i've watched so much and researched so much about the catholic church they are one of the biggest pedophile rings in the world and they just get, you know, tell these victims' parents, oh, you know, this guy's going to be prosecuted. And they just move them 20, 30 miles away. So they're doing it again. And some of these guys rack up hundreds of victims. They talk about, you know, the, the roots of the CIA and the Nazis. I've written multiple books about Pablo Escobar. And he said he couldn't believe it. He, you know, he's going through the jungles of Central and South America. And there was whole villages of... Germans doing uh, singing in German and marching and all this stuff. And one of the guys who was at the top of that pyramid was Klaus Barbie, the butcher of Lyon, who ordered the deaths of over 10,000 people during World War II. And he managed to escape with the help of the Vatican and the CIA. And the CIA had him running death squads in Bolivia and with the Argentine intelligence agencies, teaching them all of the ways of torture and genital electrocution and so on, because the drugs were not allowed, the drug trafficking was not allowed to fall into the communists. If the communists took over the cocaine, instead of Klaus Barbie and his henchmen and the cartels they were dealing with, then next thing, domino effect. Mexico is going to be communist and the, the communists are going to be knocking on our border. So at that point in time in history, the National Security Party of the CIA was fighting communism and drug trafficking had to be in safe hands. So I grew up Catholic, not to bring it back up, but I grew up Catholic. You know how it works? You know how it works? They make you go in this little box and you're supposed to tell this priest. So imagine being a kid and having impurity thoughts or you think you're kind of gay and you tell this priest. Now the priest knows exactly who to, who to go to. Oh, this guy is kind of homo. This guy likes little kids. Well, he's like me. He kind of gets to you. And that's how he knows. It, that's what that thing is. It's not for you to tell 100%, you. 100%. It's setting dude. you up. It's setting you up for failure so they can know exactly who to touch. Like, oh, this kid's a little weird. So I'm going to go to him. It's just to find out who's who. 
I was raised Catholic and I was an altar boy. And just as a disclaimer, I want to say that there are, there are a lot of good, well-meaning priests out there as well, but there's a lot of bad um, going on. And to use all that money people are donating, those people think they're buying a place in heaven and that money is being used so that these chomo priests yeah. can avoid getting convicted and sent down for life and getting stabbed in the belly by the Aryan Brotherhood. All that money is getting used to prevent that and creating more victims, that is absolutely sick. And that's probably one of the major reasons why so many people are turning away from the church. I, you know, I've, I've talked to people about that. And, you know, they brought up some real, like that these priests are put there purposefully to discredit religion. So, you know, we find all the time that, like, they'll discover uh, – you know, like, let's say the YouTube, right? They had these really shady videos going forever. And they were like, I call it corporate kitty porn. You know, it's like, it could stay on there. Uh, it definitely in, it, uh, uh, had a certain feel to it. And they, these videos would never be taken down. And then I started to, in my head, put together that the reason they didn't want to take it down because they wanted to read the comment sections. And, you, oh, so this guy's saying some stuff, right? Then they start following these people and then they start going, okay, this guy's a pedophile and he has desires to be in, in uh, politics. Let's push this guy forward control and we can control him at every level of, I mean, we're talking decades, if not centuries of like positioning people in the political system that are completely compromised by either blackmail or bribery. So, the church could be doing that as well. You know, you, you, you get these guys that you know are, are uh, bad, you know, child pedophiles are bad people. Get these bad people, position them in places so you can control them and then uh, out them and then get the whole religion discredited with, and people start losing God in their life. I mean, if you look at this lockdown right now, like people can't go to church. And they're making it so you can't even do a drive-by where you could just drive in, get a blessing from the pastor and go. I can go get food. I can go to a store. I can go to a liquor store. The liquor store is still open. But these people can't go to their place of worship. We can have arguments about organized religion on another time. But the notion that somebody can't go and worship is very dark to me. What are your thoughts on that? So... I had a prison friend, he's dead now. He used to fly loads, cocaine loads, for the Sinaloa cartel. And he really gave me an understanding of the church's finances and how that evil money, how that money is put to evil. He was suing the Catholic Church. Oh my God. Because he was molested as a kid. And he. As part of the legal discovery, he was given all of the a paperwork of all of the assets of the Catholic Church in the Tucson diocese. And because these old people think they're buying a place in heaven, they would leave their houses to the Catholic Church. And also, the Catholic Church would encourage them to go into old people's homes and sign over their houses to the Catholic Church. So he was showing this map of Tucson. It was like nearly every street had a house that had been left that the Catholic Church owned. And he explained also 
you know, the Pope gets up and talks about peace and all this stuff. The Catholic Church is one of the biggest investors in the stock market, in like military companies, bomb manufacturers, weapons manufacturers. So the information that this guy gave me just absolutely blew my mind about the hypocrisy of it. You know, and again, at the top level, perhaps it has to be the psychopaths that rise. Yeah. There are well-meaning people who join the church. Um, but ultimately, um, the, the, the corruption is there, definitely. A lot of money gets laundered. You know how you give money to the little baskets? Yeah. All of a sudden, the church has $10,000. For sure. You can't say who gave it to you. It's cash. They get laundered yeah. through there, and they keep they keep uh, what, 10, 20% of it, and you give yeah. the 80% back to the cartel. Yeah. It's laundered like that. No, no one gets asked nothing. <laughs> I was, I was convicted of money laundering and I was approached by someone who worked for the Cali cartel, um, but I, I declined. What, Are you what allowed to do that? Yeah, I'll tell you what happened. Um, so I was working as a stockbroker in the mid 90s and I flew over my best mate from England. He, like, he co-interviews people with me. You may have seen him. His name is Wildman. Yeah. He's like this big. And he's like the Joey Diaz of the UK, basically. <laughs> he just says anything. When I listen to Joey Diaz's stories about the Tucson hotels and stuff like that, Wildman has got the exact same stories. And he was at the Tucson hotels with the crackheads, doing the crack and the cocaine with the street people. At the exact same time, Joey Diaz was, was at those hotels in Tucson. That is hilarious. So Wildman, he's um, got a violent temperament as a young person. And I'm the studious one. So I have, I have this idealistic notion that when he gets out of prison in the UK, I'm going to fly him over to Arizona and get him a job as a wrestler. So I rent him a house near the Georgian Dragon English pub. I'm thinking he's just going to go over there, have a beer with the expats. He's not going to get any trouble. A month or so after he's been there, I go over there one night with my girlfriend. We knock on the door. A bunch of Mexicans open the door. I say, where's Peter? They're like, what? Pizza? We didn't order pizza. No, Peter. Where's Peter? You know, my, my friend from England, this is his place. They all pull guns out. Me and my girlfriend start backpedaling. And then Wildman just bounces over the road, smiling. He's like, don't worry about them. They're my friends. The guy at the back is Alex. He's a, a Colombian crack distributor there is mexican workers they like to move around a lot so i've rented my place to them they're, they're buzzing of how big a crack rock i can do in one breath i can do a hundred dollar crack rock in one breath they absolutely love it and they give me all this crack for free unbelievable unbelievable do you like joey yeah you guys just live this insane life I had that for a little while, but I'm out of all my stories. I don't know how Joey Diaz is still going. I mean, he's only gotten up to like 1985. I, I'm tapped, dude. I'd love to see Joey Diaz and Wildman just, just talking webcam because we're all banned from America. I actually flew <laughs> Wildman to America. He got deported for being a menace to society, and I had to send Mission Impossible-style teams of people around the world through Canada and Mexico smuggling him back into the country multiple times. Do you 
I mean, it's got to be interesting when you live that life, right? And then yeah. you have to like play by the rules. Is that impossible? Yeah. It's kind of like a guy. I, I mean, like as a young man, you're just running and gunning with ladies, and then you get you get into this situation, and you're like, now I gotta be this. It's it's not easy, right? I mean, you gotta be like this. I'll is give who you I an example. Now. I'll give you an example. Um, I had operations in Mexico, and so I knew people down there. And when I got released, people from Mexico were calling me from the Sinaloa cartel, and they were asking me to establish cocaine distribution in the UK. And I said, "Look, I don't want to go back to prison. I am, you know, trying to live live the the straight and narrow right now." And they left it at that because I never burned any bridges. All the people I did business with. We had an understanding, and it was it was all on, on, on very good terms. And those guys who were contacting me um, from the cartel, they were policemen. Oh, my God. Oh my. Dude, I mean, my mom's eventually going to hear this, but, you know, at some point, you know, I remember being at my I, – I tell the story all the time, but I went to my grandfather's funeral from Niagara Falls, and one side was the law enforcement. The other side was the Niagara Falls Mafia. It's just, you know, there is a fine line. And uh, most of the time people are snorting that line, to be honest with you. And it's just, it really, uh, there's no, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like the rules are set to keep the really powerful in power. And the way to circumvent that sometimes is to not play by the rules. And you, do that until eventually you move in to being the powerful and you're on the other side of the law. But, you know, to move up, you sometimes have to break the rules. And that, to me, is what basically the black market is all about. It's just like people trying to run a business that aren't in the power position at all. And what that represents. And, like, you know, it's like, to me, it's like when people talk about Donald Trump, right? Uh, you know, like it's moment to moment, my opinions on him, you know, because sometimes I'm like, I like what he's doing. And then there's sometimes like, what is this guy doing? But, you know, I always say like, he's not a white hat. He's a, he's a crime boss. And I would love to get your opinion on that. Crime bosses like to run a business. They like to make profits. They also like around them to have stability. Okay. Like their neighborhood is clean and it's ran right because that's where they live. They want to keep it right, but they want to make a dollar and they'll do it in a shady way. A am I off on that? No, you're 100% right. They are crime families. They are like the mafia. So you got the Bush and the Clintons. They're working together as one crime family, basically. That's why you saw George H.W. Bush vote for Hillary Clinton at the last election. They locked together with that cocaine operation and Bill Clinton was awarded the White House by the CIA because of that. Now, if you are the most powerful country in the world, you have to lock down the most profitable businesses in the world. And they are arms, drugs, trafficking, oil. So the black market is included in that on the drug side. That money is just immense. I've written multiple books about Escobar. And what I learned was they keep drugs illegal so that they can tap into that black market profit and it can never be stopped 
the drugs will always flow no matter who they arrest, Escobar, Cali, El Chapo. So Escobar was sourcing a kilo, kilo of coca paste from Peru and Bolivia in the 1970s when he was getting started for $60 a kilo. Now, because of the black market in cocaine, how much do you think a kilo of cocaine was going for on the streets of America back in the 70s? I have no clue how much. $60,000. So if you can take something for pennies and turn it into tens of thousands, like I said, it doesn't matter who they arrest, the cocaine will always flow. And the only way to stop that is to completely legalize, uh, decriminalize and legalize all drugs. And they know from alcohol prohibition that that's the case because over a decade of alcohol prohibition, the thought was alcohol's bad, prohibit, it will, society will be improved. But what happened was the mafia took over, Al Capone's running around with his machine guns, violent crime is going off the scale. The mafia want to produce the highest concentrate alcohol. So that's causing loads of problems as well. So the government said, all right, this hasn't worked out. We need to stop it. They stopped it. They did exactly the same thing with drugs. But instead of saying we need to stop it because this is harming society, they said, how can we profit from this? Not just the tens of billions a year in contracts with the private prisons. There are hundreds of prison contractors. Everything from the razor wire on the fences yeah. to, the, to the phone calls, three strikes law, you are serving 25 to life. Yeah. And there were, there were people doing petty offenses in California doing 25 to life. 50,000 a year, that's over a million dollars to the taxpayer. So some of the more level-headed taxpayers tried to get that repealed. And when they went to get it repealed, the wall of money rose up. And that was the California State Guards Union which gave the governor a million to get three strikes introduced in the first place. And also one of the founders of Broadcom, exclusive provider of telephone services to the California state prison system. So to call back to the UK, five minutes, I think they charged my parents like $70. Bob Barker, people don't know from the Price is Right, was made a ton of money off the prison system like he's making the shoes he's everything they were bob barker stuff um you know you bring up uh, about them making money i mean what we've seen like people always like you know especially uh in the conservative movement they really hate illegal immigration which i understand okay but instead of like dealing with what is causing it they get mad at the effect of it meaning that these illegals are coming in here. Nobody's ever talking about, you know, why are Mexicans coming here? And it's because their country is like a bloodbath of drug cartel wars, which we fund. Obama got busted with supplying guns to the cartel. And it's because the drug war is so lucrative. And the Mexican government has tried multiple times to legalize drugs in Mexico. And our government will not allow them to do it. And it is 100% being done purposefully because there'd be so many people 
that would lose funding. I mean, just that you know who doesn't want drugs legalized? Cops. Guess what? During this quarantine, uh, like he said, drugs are going to come in no matter what. Guess what? Drugs are more expensive. Coke's more expensive because the border's closed. Did it ever go through the border? It goes under the border. Like, drugs are more expensive. The weed shops are more expensive just because of high demand, supply and demand. Like he said, you close the border, it's going to get here anyways. And guess who's going to make more money now? The cartel. The black market's making more money. When at the end of the day, it shouldn't be more expensive. It's getting in anyways. It's, they're, they're not using the, it's not coming here legally. Why does it matter if the border's closed or not? It's just yeah. ridiculous. I've got a guy I'm working with on YouTube. He's got his own channel, OG Shadow. He's got like a mask on, stuff round, wrapped around his head. He's in Mexico reporting on these things. And um, yeah, they've got the tunnels. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got um, all kinds of ways of getting it over there. And El Chapo was working with the Mexican president and, and the, you know, the political class for years. But there comes a point in time when... The, the, the head of the cartels got to be sacrificed. Before Chapo, it was Caro Quintero and Felix Gallardo, if you watch um, Narcos, uh, Mexico. Those guys were working with, with the government for years as well. But then the heat comes on and they're sacrificed and that's handed over to the, you know, whoever's up and coming. And while those guys are working with the, car, with the government, they're snitching out the rival cartels and the government's going in doing the, the military raids on the rival cartels, telling George H. W. Bush, look at us, we're fighting the war on drugs. And the whole thing is just one big shakedown on the taxpayers. And during that, uh, El Chapo tried to mention that he was giving the president money and all that, and that got thrown out of case. It's, it's irrelevant. We can't talk about it. You, you're giving money. He literally was spilling the beans, and they were like, that's irrelevant. That's not part of the case. And just threw it out. Like always, they just throw shit out when it's irrelevant to them or when it doesn't. I mean, El Chapo gave, uh, what was it, 15 to 20 million to the Clinton Foundation. I mean, like global initiative. I mean, he was just a district manager, man. I, and it's just unbelievable. So, Sean, I want to I end on this real quick because I got babies I got to get back to. Um, do, what, what is the real human nature? Is it what we're doing? Just us following the rules? talking about this stuff or is it what's going on that you've witnessed all over the place is that real human nature or is that just an extreme version of it or have we just you know some of us are just domesticated and some of us are just running and gunning raw i think we all have the capacity to make jokes and we all have the capacity to kill people sometimes people ask me you know, you were friends with a multiple homicide murderer serving 141 years, two Tonys, left the dead bodies of rival gangsters from Arizona to Alaska. Yeah, you were a rave kingpin. Peace, <laughs> love, ecstasy, cuddle puddles, Vicks inhalers. How do you reconcile that? And I say that by going through this education in human psychology, you know, being forced to live with people for six years with, with serious addiction issues that have gone through extreme things in life. I learned that there's good and bad in absolutely every one of us. And if you concentrate on the good, it helps it to come out. Oh, it's just crazy, man. I just, I don't know if we'll ever, I don't know if there'll ever be a moment where there's just nothing but good. I don't think that, it, I don't think it's possible, but you know, 
I just, I wish that the poor didn't take the blunt of everything and that we just didn't just because, you know, where, where you're born is, has so much, you listen to people cry about how hard they're like, you know, crying about this country and all. I'm like, dude, you were born in America, man. Like, you know, it's not perfect. I know that it's got a lot of flaws. Guess what? So do all of us. Okay. But man. Like you see some people born into a world of shit and they, there's just, they already have three strikes. It's just, there's nothing to do. It's just get to an age until you're either thrown in jail or you're murdered. It's just rough. It's crazy. One more time, Sean, if you could please tell them uh, where you want the swarm to find all your stuff. Uh, I dude, I could talk to you forever all the time. You're a wonderful interview. You're it's an easy talk and I appreciate you coming out. Tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Uh, my YouTube channel is just under my name, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T Wood. Maybe you can put a link in the description box. Done deal, video. done deal. And all my socials are just under my name, and all my books are available worldwide on Amazon. My Life Stories a Trilogy. It's Party Time, Hard Time, and Prison Time. And <laughs> really thank all you guys um, for having me on. Got loads more stories. My trilogy is like 30-plus hours of audio content and we didn't even get to the stories about the dick lifts yet, which oh. is a prison exercise guys do because they fear when they get out after serving many years, they're not going to be able to get their dicks hard. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, Sean, you are a very interesting person, my friend. You are like, you're like the positive Lex Luthor. You're like bringing good <laughs> to the world. You're a G man. I appreciate you. And uh, we'll, please come back sooner than later. We love to have an interview, guys. Thanks for uh, checking out, everybody. Thanks for ch checking out the show. I mean, dude, anybody that listens, I'm so thankful. Again, check out uh, Broken Simulation. Check out uh, George Perez stories. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Take care, everybody. Wake up, Aaron. This is only